to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Well, we're in the middle of a conversation called David, going through the life of a guy named David in the scriptures, who is a pretty prominent figure. E- even if you haven't been around church, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. And the dude lived a pretty amazing life, so much so that he almost got two books dedicated to him in the scriptures. And his life serves as a beautiful uh, example for us in every way of what to do and what not to do. Now, up until now, David has been a really, really stellar dude. I mean, everything that we've read about him has just been incredible. His, his calling, his fighting Goliath, his friendships, his stepping into a space of releasing jealousy and bitterness and stepping into redemption and forgiveness. And, and we just look at him through rose-colored lenses up until today. And this is where the story takes a little bit of a turn. So I'm going to jump into this conversation in 2 Samuel chapter, one, start, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I'm not even going to pull out a chair for this because it gets a little Jerry Springer up in here, all right? <laughs> in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent his messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. They did a little more than sleeping, but that's what we go with in the scriptures. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab said to David, when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, hey, hey, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. In case you don't know what was happening, David's like, hey, go have sex with your wife so that she thinks she's pregnant with your kid, not mine. So David told Uriah, uh, David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, well, the ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. So now David's in a pickle. So David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. So he's thinking, now if I get this dude wasted, maybe something will happen. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab And sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. 
So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. This is pretty intense, where David finds himself and where he goes. This story definitely takes a little turn here as we enter into 2 Samuel chapter 11. Have you ever been front row for someone's really destructive life choices? Like, just been like, wow, I get to witness all of these things. Now, it's obviously the person going through a lot of pain and a lot of chaos in those life, destruction, life choices, but there's also a lot of pain on your end too, right? When you're watching someone make destructive choices that you know are going to lead them into a very difficult place, into a painful space, it's almost just as much pain for you as it is for them if you love that person. And if you're a control freak like me, you just want to grab them and say, stop making the decisions, right? Just stop it. Go back to your room. Don't do anything. But you can't. That's the hard thing about this. See, and it's one thing when when someone is constantly making foolish life choices, like like most of their choices are destructive and they occasionally make a healthy one. You know, those people where you're like, oh, well, there goes Joe, right? You know, because you just expect that from them. It's another thing when the person making those destructive life choices are wise and powerful and trustworthy and a leader. It's difficult when a parent makes those decisions or a mentor or a pastor because suddenly you start experiencing whiplash. Like, wait a minute, you you were the person called. You were the person who was doing good. You were the person who was holy and righteous and trustworthy and, and you were a mentor and I believed in you and I hoped in you and I trusted in you. This is why whenever a pastor does something screwy in the news, I always just cringe because I know that there is spiritual whiplash that happens across the nation when someone who is supposed to be trusted and honored and lived a noble life finds themselves in this space. And, and when that happens, when, when you know that someone is trustworthy and, and they've demonstrated that they are good and that you are to put your hope and faith in this person and they do that, it makes you wonder, well, who can I trust? If I can't trust them, who can I trust in life? Have you noticed how quickly we as human beings also like to put people in categories? We have good people and bad people. We have heroes and we have villains. We have the good guys and the bad guys, especially in our culture. We do this right now. We we love putting people into very distinct categories, that that we have people in our culture who are inherently like good They give to charity, they feed starving children in Africa, they give away of their time, they serve the world, they give of themselves, and then they make one screwy tweet, and they're in the bad category, canceled. And suddenly we put them into this other category, and and everything that they did before is canceled because of this one mistake that they made over here. See, up until now, David has been in this good guy category. It's like, oh, here's the guy who killed the bear and killed the lion and killed Goliath. He was called. He had this great friendship with Jonathan. He had the opportunity to kill Saul. He didn't kill Saul. He chooses to forgive him. He releases him. And up until now, he has been in the good guy category. And now we find him in this not-so-finest moment. And it's easy to want to cancel David and put him in the bad category. Like, oh, he wasn't actually a good guy. Now he's a bad guy. And so we put him in this category over here. And... Not that he doesn't deserve it in this moment, but we, we easily switch him from one camp to the next over here. And here's the thing. We like putting people in categories because it simplifies life for us. 
If we know who's in the bad category and who's in the good category, who's good, who's evil, who's a hero, who's a villain, who's trusted, who is untrustworthy, it mitigates our relational risk. Because if I know that these are the good people, I can put my trust in them. And if these are the bad people, then I can keep my trust away from them. And so it's nice to separate those two. It informs us of where we can put our trust. But the reality is, is that people are fluid, aren't they? That they're a mixed bag. That, that people don't fit into nice little categories. That, that one minute, someone could be making really healthy life decisions, and they're on track towards wholeness and towards a future and towards righteousness. And the next minute, they do something screwy. <laughs> the next minute, they make a decision. They're like, where did that come from? What informed you that that was a good decision? Of all the decisions that were available to you, why did that one look like the best decision that was available to you? See, the fact is that we, we can't categorize people as much as we would like to. As much as we would like to put people in the hero and villain category in order to do that, we either must ignore their finest moments or ignore their worst moments. But I think actually what disturbs us the most is not necessarily that we can't put other people into clear categories. I think what disturbs us the most is that we can't put us into clear categories. That we recognize that we are fluid inside of us. We know that we don't fit into a nice little category. We as human beings inherently recognize that there is both light and darkness that lives inside of us. That we are at the same time sinners and saints. That we are at the same time capable of so much good and capable of so much ease, evil inside of us. Now look, I, I know that there are some of you who prefer to see yourself as saints. As all saints. And any, anything that happens over in this category, it's like, well, I had a bad day. I had good intentions. I ate something funny. They did something weird that forced me to do this. And so we find ourselves going, no, 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 you don't understand. I am a good person. And we put ourselves in this category, and everything else either has to be ignored or has to be mitigated. Now, some of you see yourself as all villain. And some of you just live in self-pity and self-loathing and shame and judgment. And anything that you do that's wholesome or wholeness or good, it's like, well, let me explain to you why that happened. That was a blip on the radar. No, I'm, I'm actually just a piece of scum over here, but there's occasional moments where something happens that allows me to do something beautiful, that allows me to make a healthy choice, and so I find myself over here, and we find ourselves wanting to polarize ourselves, blinding us to both the good and the evil that exists inside of us, the light and the darkness that takes up the exact same space within these bones. We are frustrated by that. We don't like that idea because both of them, whether you see yourself as all saint or all sinners, are both arrogant perspectives because it places you as the judge and jury of your own life. See, this story of David is not put in the scriptures to villainize David. That when the writers of 2 Samuel decided they were going to put this story in there, they weren't like, let's spice it up a little bit and let's inform people of how awful David is. It's a reminder that as we're looking at this life of this incredible man, that we are a mixed bag, just like David is. And that we all are struggling towards wholeness. That we are struggling towards life and freedom. And here's the thing. Jesus brings us to life. That when we step into a relationship with Jesus, he, he, he revives our soul so that we're actually capable of living, of hope, of freedom, of joy, of beauty. 
But then it is our job to struggle forward in figuring out how do we work this out inside of us. How do we actually move towards a space of making wholeness and, and goodness and life flow from us? How do I move towards a space where I make more decisions that move my life towards wholeness than it does towards destruction, where it moves my life towards greatness rather than towards chaos and hopelessness? How did David get here in this place? More importantly, how do we have less of these moments in our lives and more Goliath moments in our story? Have you ever been in a place where you find yourself focusing on not doing something. You know what I'm talking about? Like you go on the donut and you're like, don't eat the donut. Or you go on a diet and you're like, Freudian slip. You go, you go on a diet. You go on a diet and you're just like, don't eat the donut. Don't eat the donut. Don't eat the donut. I know there's going to be donuts at work. Don't eat the donut. They're in the, they're in the office. Don't eat the donuts. Someone brought them. Don't eat the donuts, right? Or you're frustrated and you're like, just don't cuss at the kids. Don't cuss at the kids. Just don't cuss at the kids. Don't cuss. Don't, don't react to my wife. Don't react. Don't react. Don't react. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't spend that money. You don't need to spend that money. I know you don't have the money. You're broke and you have credit card debt. Don't spend the money, right? It's amazing how often we find ourselves there. And have you noticed that when you find yourself in that space that you're just focusing on that thing all day, the very thing that you're not supposed to be focusing on? Like the whole day, you're just thinking about the donut. The whole day, you're thinking about not cussing. The whole day, you're thinking about not reacting. The whole day, you're like, do not put that credit card in that machine. And that's all you focus on all over and over. It's kind of like when someone says, don't think about a pink elephant. Don't do that right now. All of a sudden, everyone in the room's thinking about a pink elephant, right? It's funny how our minds are, are, are uh, wired like that. And here's the thing. So much of this movement called Christianity has become about making sure that we don't engage destructive habits. It's become a movement that is all about how do I not do these things that are going to move me towards destruction? How do I keep myself from behaving in a way that is going to move my life towards chaos and towards darkness and towards hopelessness? And that has become the focus of this movement called Christianity. Marla and I and the family were on vacation in February and we were having this nice day out by the pool, had a few drinks, kids were swimming around and we meet this nice little couple and we're talking to them, we're hitting off, they were talking about where they live and what we're up to, we're talking about our vacations, our kids, all these things. And then they inevitably ask the question that I always hate. What do you do for a living? Because this couple has been swearing up and down, saying all kinds of inappropriate things, disclosing all kinds of things that you would never disclose to a pastor. Now, I never lead with I'm a pastor. I'm like, I'm a motivational speaker, I'm an author, I'm a trainer, I'm a coach, I do stuff in the nonprofit sector. But before I could get any of that out, my wonderful wife just says, we're pastors. And it's a little bit like saying, we're serial killers and we haven't killed anyone recently. And you're kind of our type. <laughs> because they do what inevitably almost everyone does. I see it, their pupils dilate. And they start thinking, what have I said over the last 30 minutes? Because I'm sure this is going to count in some eternal record that this guy keeps in his back pocket with God himself, right? What have I said? Oh my gosh. And, and inevitably, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, we should not have said that. Would you forgive us? We're just such horrible people. Like we're not church people, but maybe we'll go to church someday. When's your church? You know. 
And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Not because I don't like being, I don't want making people uncomfortable, but because what I recognize is the second they hear that I follow Jesus, they start going, oh, I need to correct my behavior. I need to stop doing something. That's the context that we've created. That if I follow Jesus, that the whole context for that is I need to stop doing something. The problem is that that's actually incredibly ineffective when it comes to life change and transformation. And it actually leads to more destructive habits. The more that your life is driven by what you're not supposed to do, the more that you will find yourself engaging in those things. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing that I absolutely know about you. That I know without a doubt about you is that you were made for movement. You were made for a mission. You were made to live in the context of a powerful vision. That every ounce of your energy and your being was designed to fulfill a mission that was so fulfilling to you and that transformed the world around you. That there is a calling on your life. That you were made to defeat the bear and to to kill the lion and to take on Goliath and win every single time. And that may seem scary to you, but you know inherently that you were actually made for victory, that you long for that victory, that you were made to transform the world around you as love is infused into your very being by God himself and that it flows out into your community that you were made for this type of impact. It's why you have breath in your lungs right now. It's why there is life coursing through your bones because you were made for this. And I absolutely know that this is true because something inside of you just resonated with what I just said. Yeah, that's right. That inside of every one of you, they were like, yeah, that's right. Even if that little voice is like scared and trembling and like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm supposed to. I don't know if that's me. You want it to be true. Yeah. And so I know that, that you were made for that. Because if you didn't want it to be true, it wouldn't be absolutely true for you that your heart, your mind, your spirit, your body were made for mission and you cannot get away from that. And so when we choose to not engage that mission, that calling, that vision, the impact that we were designed to make, things go sideways in life. Things start going screwy. And actually, in this whole conversation about David and Bathsheba, we know everything we need to know in the very first sentence. The first verse gives us everything we need to know that says, in the springtime when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and David stayed in Jerusalem. See, when it was time to engage his mission, when it was time to step into the battle, when it was time to say, all right, I am going to fulfill my purpose that God has ordained me for here in this moment, David chose to stay home. And I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was just hanging around. I don't know if he got like a new mattress or something. I don't know if he was like, hey, we just remodeled the palace. I want to stay here. It's nice, whatever it may be. I don't know if he had what. But what I do know is that he had enough free time to just be hanging out. And all of the energy and all of the life and all of the breath that he had been gifted by God for this mission that was in front of him needed some outlet. It needed some place to go. He needed some place to direct all this to. And see, had David been off to war where kings go to in the spring, all of that energy would have been redirected towards his calling, towards his mission, towards fulfilling the battle that was in front of him. And he could have been off expanding and protecting the kingdom in that moment that he was gifted all of this energy and resources necessary for that. And here he was sitting around the house. See, you, you like David, were gifted energy. You were gifted life so that in springtime you could go off to war when kings do. Yeah. 
But so often we find ourselves here. And here's the thing. Newton's first law is that objects in motion will stay in motion. See, human beings will always be in motion. You don't get out of that. You will always be expending your energy. You will always be making decisions for something. You will always be moving towards some purpose because you were made for mission. So you actually don't get to turn off the switch for mission when you decide to stay home from war. You don't decide to say, oh, well, you know what, I'm just going to go into a neutral space. That energy goes somewhere. You step into some other mission. And when we refuse the mission that God has informed us, that energy goes somewhere. And that somewhere is what I like to call our shadow mission. See, every single one of us has a shadow mission. That when we choose to not go off to war, that when we choose to not engage the calling that's on your life, that when we choose to not engage the purpose that you were made for, all of that energy gets redirected into some other shadow mission. And that shadow mission almost always leads towards self-destruction. It leads towards depression and anxiety. It leads towards addiction It leads towards fear and worry. It leads towards self-pity. It leads towards not knowing your purpose. It leads to wallowing in what on earth am I here for and what am I supposed to give my energy to and how am I supposed to give my life away. It leads towards all kinds of spiraling and destruction. And see, the shadow mission for all of us in some way has been the exact same from the very beginning of humanity. It's the exact same shadow mission that Adam and Eve were invited into in the garden. And this serpent, when they talked to Adam and Eve, invited them into this shadow shadow mission. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Stay comfortable. You don't want to go out to war. You don't want to give yourself to loving and towards the community and towards engaging the world with hope and freedom. That's too much work. Just be comfortable. That's going to inconvenience you. That's not going to fit with your personality type. That doesn't match your Myers-Briggs. Or we say, oh, if it looks good, I want that. And so we find ourselves spending money, spending energy, spending time, dreaming, planning for a future or a thing or something just out of reach, constantly trying to get it. And then when we get it, it's not fulfilling, so I have to find the next it. And so the shadow mission leads me into further and further and further lack of fulfillment and contentment with everything around me. And the last part of this shadow mission that always shows up is, it's my life. I do what I want. No one tells me what to do. No one informs me of how I'm supposed to spend my energy and my time and my resources. That's me. I'm the one in charge of this. And see, the shadow mission hasn't really changed much from the beginning. That when we refuse to be those who go off to war in springtime as kings do, to give ourselves to the mission and the calling that's on our lives, we will find ourselves saying, if it looks good, do it. If it feels good, get it. And I am in charge. I do what I want. And we will find ourselves engaging that shadow mission over and over and over. See, some of you in this room are stuck diverting your energy into your shadow mission. And you're asking yourself, why? Why do I keep engaging in this same cycle over and over and over again? You keep making these decisions that drain the life out of you, and it feels like you're stuck. It feels like you have no hope. It feels like there's no possibility forward because you're spending all the energy that was designed to go to war on maintaining the shadow mission. And the crazy thing is that when you're in this shadow mission, it, it actually blinds you to the fact that you're in the shadow mission. You just think, I'm out of control. I don't have the resources 
I don't have the power needed. I don't have the aptitude. Circumstances have not shown up the way that they're supposed to be. And I just find myself stuck here. You are blind to it. And it becomes a very dark spiral that we find ourselves in. See, here David started with not going off to war, but then he found himself just in some lust. And then he found himself in adultery. And then he found himself attempting to cover up the adultery. And then he found himself in murder. And then he eventually found himself in self-loathing and pity about why he found himself there in the middle of this. Does this spiral sound familiar? See, when you give into the temptation of stepping into the spiral mission, uh, shadow mission, this is where we find ourselves. And it may not be lust for you. It was for David. It started there at least. For some of us, it starts with superiority. I know better. All these other people that, that you know, are saying, giving me feedback and saying what's going on and attempting to help me, I know better. For some of us, it starts with anger. Like, I choose to give in to the anger of the situation. Why isn't life turning out the way that it's supposed to? It should be like this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go off to war. For some of us, it just, it just looks like fear and worry. Just constantly giving in to the voice that says, it's not going to turn out. Don't even try. Don't go to war. You're going to lose. Don't give yourself. You're going to be defeated. You're going to lose everything. So just stay home. And it starts there. See, no one wakes up and says, I'm a murderer. No one wakes up and says, I'm going to go out and kill someone today. But people do wake up and say, you know what? What's most comfortable today? And it leads to all kinds of hopelessness and darkness that we find ourselves in. And then you find yourself purposeless and and anxious and depressed and spiraling. And, And have you ever been in that space and then you get anxious that you're anxious? You know what I'm talking about? You get depressed that you're depressed, you know? And then it adds like, why am I so depressed? I'm such a horrible person. How do I get out of the depression, right? And then it just doubles down on everything and it moves into this space. See, if, if we learn anything from David in this moment, the solution to avoiding making destructive life decisions isn't sitting around going, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, I, I'm not supposed to do this, or I wish I wouldn't. But the solution for making really destructive life choices and moving out of that space is to focus your energy on making really life-giving decisions, on taking all that energy and all that power and all that resource that God has gifted to you, the very breath in your lungs, and saying, no, no, no I choose to no longer step into the shadow mission, but I get to go off to war. I'm going to go love, I'm going to go serve, I'm going to go give, I am going to step into the calling and the mission that is on my life. The answer isn't to sit around and worry about your brokenness. The answer is to go to war in the spring when kings go to war. See, because once you start redirecting your energy towards your calling, towards your passion, towards your mission, all of a sudden your life starts to come back. Oh, this is what I was made for. This is why I have breath in my lungs, because I'm supposed to be at war right now. I remember when I first started working in Los Angeles at a church out there, and we had all kinds of young men and women fly in from all over the country to work with us in L.A., and all these kids came in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed from Michigan, you know, and other states that don't really have relevance to us, but (laughs) now they're in L.A., right? And I, I had a lot of friends who were in the program, and because I'm from here, this is just normal, but for them, it was like, we're in L.A., right? 
And what, it, what you inevitably had was a bunch of kids who were really excited to be here and a bunch of parents that were horrified that their kids were in L.A., especially like conservative evangelical parents who were like, oh, man, my kid's going off to L.A., the land of fruit and nuts, right? Something's going to happen. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to get into drugs. Someone's going to do something. Someone's going to be pregnant, right? And I remember my good friend David, who, uh, who was here from Nebraska, and I remember with, being with him one day, he was, he was calling his dad. He had his dad on speakerphone, and his dad was just like, David, I'm just so worried about you. I'm just so worried you're, you're in L.A., and there's so much temptation, and, and there's so much going on, and there's, you know, there's, I, don't, I, I just, I, I worry about you every single day. Now, what, what his dad didn't fully recognize was David was leading uh, organization that was serving all of the oppressed population of Los Angeles, all the marginalized population of Los Angeles. He was daily out feeding homeless, making sure that people had what they need. He was giving out food. He was giving out shelter. He was making sure that people had clothes. I mean, this dude worked harder than any person I knew. And he was up in the morning as early as possible, and he was going to bed as late as possible. I had to, like, schedule times to get coffee with him because he was just out giving himself away. And I will never forget what he said to his dad on the phone. He said, Dad, I don't have time for any of that. Even if I wanted to, I don't have time because I'm exhausted by the end of the day giving myself away to all of the life-giving projects that God has in front of me. I, I am so tired by the end of the day that I don't have, I, I don't, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have the energy. He's like, my dating life has actually gone kaput because of this. See, when you are on mission serving the world, when you are expending your energy on the calling that's on your life, you don't have the time, the energy, or the luxury of engaging your shadow mission. That's not even an option anymore. Because when you are taking the gift that God has given you and saying, no, I choose to expend it outward towards the world, you do not have an option for that. You do not get a call, a choice if there is a call on your life. You don't get that. Every single one of you do, and it will remain on you until the day that you die. But make sure, make no mistake, to not engage that mission is not a neutral decision. To choose not to engage that mission is not just to say, hey, I'm going to go neutral. Every single time you choose to not engage the calling on your life, it is a decision to engage the shadow mission that's on your life. Right. You are engaging one or the other. There is no neutral in life. Now, here's, here's the crazy thing to me about this, is that after this situation with David, I mean, here he is finding himself, you know, he's lusting, he's committed adultery, he's tried to cover it up, he murdered a dude, right? Now he has a baby out of wedlock over here, all this stuff. And this is the way David is described in the book of Acts years later. In Acts 13, 22, it says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, I don't know about this. This seems crazy, right? Here's a dude, like I said, has just lusted, committed adultery, covered up, murder, lies, and God still chooses to call him a man after his own heart. Now, either God's heart is really twisted, <laughs> Or there's something else in the mix here. See, because after all of this happens, God sends David a Nathan, which is where I get my name from. So I love this passage. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, 
the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, hey, there were, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. He shared its food, drank from its cup, and even slept uh, in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David burned with anger against the man. And he said, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David said to Nathan, you are the man. This is what the Lord of God Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from your hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives to your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is closest to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, he says this, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. See, I don't know how many of us in that moment when a Nathan is rebuking us would respond, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. I think most of us if we're honest, would have said, well, but, you know, let me explain to you what happened, and I had this moment, and, and I, you know, I was home, and I was supposed to, you know, and then this happened, and then, and then, you know, I was the king, and so what was I supposed to do? Like, look like a fool and say, hey, I messed up, and so I had to kill him because of all of this. Or we would have just said, this is unfair, God. All I did was sleep with a woman and then kill a guy, and now you're bringing, you, I lose my wives, calamity on my house, all of these things. But David just says, nope, I've sinned against God. And the scriptures say that he goes on to repent from this moment. See, David, years later in the book of Acts, is not called a man after God's own heart because he did everything perfect. It wasn't because he defeated Goliath and because he had a calling on his life and because he had good friends and wasn't envious. David was called a man after God's own heart because even when he did make unwise decisions, he repented. He decided... I am not going to double down on my shame and wallow in self-pity or become the victim here or explain all of my circumstances. He just immediately says, Lord, I've sinned against you and I'm willing to shift. You know what he did? He got off of his shadow mission and he got right back onto his mission. In fact, right after this, it says he went back to war. He put on sackcloth and ashes, then he went back to war. He, he said, no, 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 okay, I got to get off of this shadow mission. It's no longer serving my life. I have to get back onto the mission that's in front of me. See, repentance is not wallowing in how bad of a person you are. 
Repentance isn't wallowing, saying, oh my gosh, I'm such a horrible person. You don't know what I've done. Let me shame myself and let me tell you how bad I am and how awful I am and how I know and everything. Repentance is saying, I am choosing to give up the shadow mission and to go back to war where I was called to, to choosing, to turning your back on the calling that you've chosen and step into the calling that was placed on your life to discipline yourself of getting out of this cycle and getting back to war to the war you were called to. See, because when you are busy fighting for your family, when you're busy fighting for your community and your friends and the oppressed and for the freedom of those you love and bringing faith and hope and love to the world around you, to going to war for the future that you know that God is longing to bring into the world, you will not have time or energy for a Bathsheba moment. You just won't. Your energy will be going towards the mission and towards the vision that's on your life. When you fall, when you choose your shadow mission, and by the way, you will inevitably at times choose your shadow mission because you are human. You just choose, I've sinned. Let me get back on the mission in front of me. Let me step back into this space. See, I, I, I think we assume that God is with us the way that we are with other people, that you get one shot and you're out. You get one shot and I'm done with you. You get one shot and you get moved from the bad category, from the good category to the bad category. You blow it once and you move from hero to villain. You do one thing stupid and now you're out of the blessed category and into the cursed category. But that is not how God operates. God is not actually interested in your perfection. He's interested in your pursuit of him. He's interested in your recovery rate. See, and your recovery rate is how fast you recognize that you were on your shadow mission, repent and get back to war. See, the time between when you get on your shadow mission and when you get back to war, that will be determined how fast your life moves forward. The question isn't if you will get on your shadow mission. The question is how fast can you bounce back? How fast can you humble yourself? How fast can you repent? How fast can you say, all right, I'm done wallowing in self-pity over here. I'm back to going to war. Because that is what we were called to do. There's so much that you could speak on in this story of David and Bathsheba. But as I was reading this conversation, this story, I felt like there were so many of us who have been in this cycle and are just stuck in it. Stuck in this cycle of purposelessness. Stuck in this cycle of anxiety and depression from all of the unhealthy choices that you've made. And you may not even recognize them as unhealthy choices. I'm not saying you murdered someone or you committed adultery. I'm just saying maybe the unhealthy choices is you've given into the lie. And you continue to give into the lie that says you don't have what it takes. You're never going to turn out. Just stay comfortable. Just get what you need. Live a smaller life. Don't go to war. It's probably not going to turn out the way you wanted it anyways. And we find ourselves stuck in this decision and we've given into our shadow mission and we're just stuck there. We're trying to figure out how do we get out but God is sending you a Nathan today to say the solution is not to focus on the thing that you need to get out of. The focus is to move back to saying, I need to go to war in springtime when kings go to war because I am called a king. And that's what God has called you, to fully step into it. See, there is a good God 
who longs to expand your life and calling you. He longs to call you a woman or a man after his own heart. He is, he is like begging for that. Not because you're perfect, not because you're not gonna step into that shadow mission, but because you refuse to stay there. And the longer you start practicing this, the, lo- the quicker your recovery rate will become. And the beautiful thing about this is that it is never too late. You are never too far gone. You are never out of the reach of a God who pulls you back in and says, you forgot that you were a king. You forgot that you were royalty. You forgot. So get off of this other mission and step into the war that you were designed for, that your soul knows that you were made for. And in that, you will find life. See, right now, it may feel permanent. It may feel pervasive. It may feel like this is not going to end. But I promise you, there is a God who is just saying, let's go to war. You were made for this. Would you just close your eyes for just one moment? I want to just do a unique invitation this morning. If you're here in this room and you feel like you've been stuck in this shadow mission in some way. I'm not saying you're a murderer or an adulterer. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying at some point you stepped into a calling other than I'm going to war. And maybe you've given into lies. Maybe it has resulted in addictions or unhealthy decisions or spaces where you've decided that you're going to play small or less than. But I believe that today God is saying, no, 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 no more. Let's recover. Let's repent. Let's get back on to going to war. And you may feel like, I'm, I don't know how to get out of the cycle. I don't know how to get out of the spiral. And look, it may not be your whole life. It just may be an area. Maybe there's an area where you're like, man, I have given up on the possibility for hope in this area. And God's like, let's go to war. Get out. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just say, I, I'm, I'm ready to, to repent, to turn from my shadow mission. Yeah, all over the room. I want you just, I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to receive this over your life. And I want you just to right now be willing to give up that shadow mission, whatever it is. I want you in your mind to just identify it. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you've been giving into depression and anxiety. Maybe you've just been giving into purposelessness, hopelessness. Maybe you've been listening to voices other than the voice that you know has been calling you into your greatness. And I want you just to symbolically release that over to God, whether you need to just take your hands and release it. But I want to pray over your life right now. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask for these individuals who have so courageously said, I'm ready to get back to war. God, that you would give them the courage to release their shadow mission. I pray that you would just even whisper in their ears right now, you are royalty. You were made to be a king or a queen at war. God, would you, Holy Spirit, just right now remind people of the calling that's on their life, the calling towards greatness and towards hope and a future, a calling towards influence and a calling towards creating communities around them that were designed to be filled with life. God, would you just fill them right now with that? And right now, if that's you, I just want you to be reminded that there is a calling on your life. And just accept that. Maybe even right now that voice is attempting to remind you of all the things that you've done 
all the things that you've not done. If you would be willing just to set that aside, take it captive, and to receive God's voice today saying, I have a calling and a mission on your life. And I have gifted you energy and life and breath to fulfill that mission. Will you take up that calling? Will you go to war for yourself, for your family, for your community? Will you accept that today? And just receive that on your life. Know that you, queen, king, were made to impact this world in such a powerful way, not in your own strength, but in the full strength and backing of Jesus himself, of God himself at your back. And as you receive his spirit right now, just allow him to start influencing you and informing you of your next steps, of, the, of your next move, that you would not walk out of here with just a nice idea or a nice feeling, but that you would start hearing his voice saying, you need to make that phone call. You need to go home and get rid of that thing. You need to go delete that app. You need to go have that conversation that you've been avoiding. You need to go repent to your wife or your spouse or your friend or your boss or whoever you need to and to start brand new. And to be reminded that you were called to be a woman or man after God's own heart. That you would take up your call to war today. We declare this in Jesus' name. Let it be so. Let it be so. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.